The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. I'm going to read Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Again, page 985. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. I'm excited to uh, share the Lord's word with you. Let's pray. Ask God for help. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak. It was through your speaking that you created all things. Uh, You've spoken in many, many ways, many, many ways through creation to show us your glory. You've spoken through your word spoken most wonderfully, most clearly through your son, the Lord Jesus, and you speak even now. Your Holy Spirit's with us, so we pray uh, that you would speak to each one of us through this time. Lord God, we just ask you for open eyes, open ears, soft hearts to hear what you would have to say, and I pray, Lord, as always, that you would speak a better message than I could ever speak, that this would be more than, than some person's speech that we would each hear from our creator, from our savior, as we listen to his word this morning. So help us with that, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So if you're new with us, uh, we're especially glad you're here and just catching everybody up. We are spending a couple weeks remembering our mission here at Fountain of Life. Uh, We usually like to go right through books and very soon we'll be starting the book of Hebrews, so we're excited about that. But a couple of weeks on our mission, just as a reminder, we don't mean the mission to be comprehensive in that it says everything every Christian could or should do. There's so much variety to that. But what we mean is that our mission would be fundamental in that everybody who participates in this church, this would be happening in you. This would be happening through you. And so I want to read that again. Hopefully it's sticking with you a little bit. Our mission reads like this, grounded in the gospel, We gather to grow in the gospel and scatter to spread the gospel for the glory of God. Grounded in the gospel, we gather to grow in the gospel and scatter to spread the gospel for the glory of God. And I I hope you noticed a word that's repeated a couple times in there. The gospel. The gospel. We Just some essential things to remember. The gospel is the good news, the best news, the news of first importance, the news of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And that's what we are all about. We believe that's what the Bible is all about. We believe that's the source for everything we should be about. We want to be grounded in the gospel, the news of Jesus and what he's done. Core elements of the gospel, Jesus is the eternal son of God who took on human nature in order to represent us, live a perfect life. We did not live, die on a cross as a substitute for us, for our sins, and he rose from the dead in victory all according to God's promises in the scriptures. This has been God's plan for how he's going to save his people from eternity past. It's the best news ever. The news is this. If you will put your faith in Jesus and who he is and what he's done, if you'll trust him, 
you will have access to the eternal grace of God. Grace, the lavish love of God for you that you could never earn or deserve, given to you freely. You put your faith in Christ, you receive the grace of God. That grace, number one, perfectly, instantaneously changes your standing before God. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. You can't fix yourself and then come to God. No, you, you look to Jesus in his perfection. You trust in him, and God's promises that for all who trust in him. God declares that person righteous. Through faith alone, instantly, imagine, being seen as if you had never sinned. Totally forgiven of every sin through faith alone in Jesus Christ. It changes your standing. Through faith alone, we're adopted as children of God. We want to be grounded in that. I want to hold fast to that. Secondly, that grace gradually but powerfully changes our lifestyles. Grace doesn't just forgive, it transforms. So as you know the gospel and trust it, you will grow in a love for the Lord and a desire to glorify him in how you live. So we want to be grounded there. The gospel's our foundation. We hold fast to it. That's everything to us. The second part of this mission then we looked at it last week. Grounded in the gospel, we gather to grow in the gospel. And we saw just that the major implication in the New Testament for when you trust Jesus is how you interact with his people. And that God's people will gather together to further grow in understanding the gospel and living it out with one another. We looked at that last week. You can listen to all that on our website. Today, we are now looking at scattering to spread the gospel. So in a way you could say our mission first, we've looked at Christ, right? Grounded in the gospel. Second, we've looked at the local church in light of Christ. We gather to grow in the gospel. Now we're starting to think about what does it mean for those who are outside the church in light of Christ and the gospel. And so we like to say we scatter to spread the gospel. So about 11.30, you're all going to scatter, right? Some of you are like, scatter quick. Some of you are like, I'm staying all afternoon. Uh, you're all invited to stay as long as you want. But we're all going to scatter. We're going to go to our home, our friends, our family, our work, our school, our ministries, our hobbies. We're going to go to everyday life. We're going to go to whatever this week has for us. And all around you will be people who do not trust the gospel, who are not grounded in the gospel. And that thing of first importance, that best news ever, they don't have it. They don't have it. And so we scatter, as we scatter, part of why we scatter, a major part of why we scatter to all our different places and responsibilities and contexts, a major part of why we scatter is to do what? Spread the gospel. I just want to show you that we receive this from Jesus himself. Look what he said to his disciples, Matthew 28, 18. Matthew 28, 18. This is after his resurrection. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So, so first of all, who, who's king? Jesus, he rose from the dead. He's king, even now. Therefore, because he's king, verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. So just a couple of basics here. Number one, every Christian is a disciple. Sometimes we ask that question. Wait, what, what's 12 disciples? Am I a disciple? Well, the 12 disciples, they were apostles as well. So they have a unique authority to proclaim Christ. That's not you, right? If somebody's like, I'm an apostle, red flag, okay? 
Uh, that's not you, but we're all disciples in the sense that, like the 12, we want to follow Jesus. We want to learn from him. We want to obey him. So we are disciples. And disciples, as we see, if you study this text further, are growing in their maturity. They want to learn to obey everything Jesus has taught them. They want to, be, they want to gather to grow in the gospel, okay? But they also are to go and make disciples, and so I just want you to think about that word go, the idea of go, the idea of scatter. Why do we have to go? Because in a way, going is one of the most uncomfortable parts of life. I mean, haven't you ever thought, I kind of just want things to stay the same because I'm sort of comfortable? I know the people and I'm happy, I'm happy with the people. And then there's just no, no go. Go where? Go to the uncomfortable. Go to the perhaps awkward. Go to the new place you haven't been before. Go. Why? Because here, it's, it's true on this hill in Matthew 28, and it's true in our local church. Here we have the gospel. Praise God. And we're supposed to gather to grow in the gospel. But out there, wherever you want there to be, out there, there's no gospel. And the only way the news of first importance is going to go there is if those who have the gospel do what? Take the gospel. And so we scatter spread, and there's obviously a million ways this needs to happen. One is we support sending missionaries to unreached people groups. That's kind of like the, the most explicit go. <laughs> like, really go. Leave your country, your culture, your family. Go to the totally strange so that you can make disciples of all nations. Right? If you're grounded in the gospel, you'll care about this. Why? Because you love Jesus and you love your neighbor. You want them to have Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And so there's a, that huge epic, you know, scatter. But then, but then there's also just your relationships. Don't, don't you need to go to new relationships? Isn't that what Jesus is calling every Christian to do? Go to new relationships. Have new friends, new acquaintances. Go. Not only that, in the relationships you may already have, go to new places in your conversations. Easy to talk about certain things, right? Hard to talk about other things. There's one essential thing we need to talk about if we love the Lord and love our neighbor. We need to talk about the gospel. So that's part of our mission. It's for every Christian in one way or another. It's for every Christian somehow you know, some people are gifted at this, public at this, amazing at this. Other people, your personality's different. It's a little, it's a little slower burn. You've got your own style. That's totally wonderful. That's the body of Christ. But in some way, every Christian must scatter to spread the gospel. Go from here to there to take the gospel where it isn't. So that's a challenge, isn't it? You, you would talk to... I, th I think we could all be honest. Like, I I'm not the perfect example of this as I preach this message. Okay? If I only preach as good as I did it, it wouldn't be a sermon worth listening to. Um, but I think we're all challenged by this, right? We, we, we would talk to one another. We would feel a little guilty. Oh, I should evangelize more. We'd feel insecure. I, I don't know if I can do this very well. Um, we, we would have these thoughts of, of the challenge. I don't, I don't know how to do this. Or you've tried it before and you're like, I didn't do that right. Or maybe you did your very best and you thought that didn't, do, that didn't do anything. All these thoughts, it's a challenge for us. And so I think one thing we need then is wisdom. 
wisdom for evangelism. I'm going to go ahead and assume that you agree that we should scatter to spread the gospel. And, and if, you, if you're not a Christian and you're here today, we are so happy you're here. We want you to keep considering Christ. And you think, really, evangelism? The reason for that, the Bible says, is, is love, right? Love for God, love for God's glory and what Christ has done, and love for our neighbor. If, if the gospel's true, it would be unloving for us not to share it with you. So, so the goal is love, but within the, within the idea of this challenge, we need wisdom. And that's why we're going to be in Colossians 4. Uh, in the book of Colossians, Paul has been, we're going to have this church grounded in the gospel. You see that in chapters 1 to 2. He's just throwing them back on the preeminence of Christ. Be grounded there. Then you see in chapter 3, he wants them to gather to grow in the gospel. His, his book is like an anchor for, this book is an anchor for our mission. Ground in the gospel, gather to, grow to go, gather to grow in the gospel. Now in chapter four, he's talking and praying about the church's posture towards outsiders. Talking and praying about the church's posture towards outsiders. And you see in Colossians four, verse five, what does he say? Walk in, what was that word? Wisdom. Walk in Wisdom. So to scatter, to spread the gospel, well, we're going to need what? What do we need? Wisdom. And so that's what we want to think about today as we get started, just for the sake of wisdom. We are talking about, I guess, the idea of personal evangelism. Personal evangelism, you talking to another person and you evangelizing. So for the sake of wisdom, let's define that word. How would you define the word evangelize? or what evangelism is. What is it? I like what Max Stiles says. This is his quote on evangelism. Evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. How do you like that? Teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. First of all, the word teach. Why do we need to teach the gospel? Because there is an explanation aspect to this, right? What God is like what people are like, the need for the gospel, and then finally pointing, pointing folks to who Jesus is and what he's done. There's a teaching aspect, teaching the gospel. But it's teaching the gospel with the aim to do what? To persuade. It's not enough, is it, to just give somebody the concepts or facts of the gospel and have it in the head? It's not enough. It's the aim to persuade. Now, I want to be really careful here. It's not the aim to manipulate do you know the difference? Manipulate, it's unethical. It's abusive. It's a, it's a kind of pressure that really has nothing to do with Christian love. We don't want to manipulate anybody. Open statement of the truth, truth and love. But persuade is, the dictionary says, persuade is to influence someone towards something or to do something through reasoning or appeal. So we're teaching the content of the gospel. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. This is the argument for it. And then saying, trust him. Don't trust that. Trust this. Look to Christ and Christ alone to save you. So that's what we want to do. We want to evangelize. We want to teach the gospel with the aim to persuade. We want to teach it wisely, as Paul says, Colossians 4, 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Let's think of that word for a moment, wisdom. What is, what is wisdom? It's more than just knowledge, isn't it? Can't you know a lot about something and not be very wise? 
Sadly, that's a picture of my own life far too often. <laughs> I am uber-educated on so many things Christian, and then I look at how I lived or, or acted in a certain situation, it's like, how did I not do what I know? Maybe you feel that way. We need wisdom in evangelism. We need to walk with wisdom. What is wisdom? It's more than just knowledge or facts. Ray Ortland says this. This is his commentary on Proverbs. He says, wisdom is skill, expertise, competence that understands how life really works and how to achieve successful and even beautiful results. It's, wisdom is how to put knowledge skillfully into practice. How to put knowledge skillfully into practice. And so as you look at Paul's text here in, in Colossians 4, he wants wisdom for this church's perspective towards outsiders. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And I think he gives us five aspects of that wisdom. So I'm coming to you this morning saying, part of our mission is that we would scatter to spread the gospel. And we need to do that with wisdom. And so here's five, five aspects of God's wisdom for us as we scatter to spread the gospel. Five ways to be wise in scattering to spread the gospel. So we're going to see it works like this. Uh, wise perspective, wise prayer, wise clarity, a wise walk, wise conversation. So if you're taking notes, I'll give that to you again. We want to scatter to spread the gospel with a wise perspective, wise prayer, wise clarity, a wise walk with wise conversation. Here we go, a wise perspective. Colossians 4, 5, again, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. I'll pause there for a moment and just ask you, what do you think about that word outsider? How do you feel about that word outsider? To, to me, it, it kind of made me think of hesitations people would have towards the idea of evangelism at all or, or suspicions towards this whole project. Outsiders. You know, from one perspective, you could think, um, doesn't the word outsider seem self-righteous and judgmental? Like we're on the inside and they're on the outside. And so if you're, evangeliz if you're evangelizing, you, you think you're better and you know, and they don't. And so maybe it has this connotation. Is that the connotation it's supposed to have? A connotation of kind of self-righteous judgmentalism? Uh, another thing that came to my mind as I was pondering this was the word outsider can feel like division. Us and them. We're over here, they're over there. Division, is, is that the posture we're to have towards outsiders, one of division? Maybe you sense it. I feel like it's all around us. Uh, division's a big issue for our times, right? Doesn't our country seem rife with division? There's insiders and outsiders, right? You've got your group over political issues or COVID issues or whatever. Uh, moreover, I don't know if you're familiar with Critical theory, it's this increasingly popular philosophy on life, but you study that, and that whole worldview sees humanity as fundamentally divided. Fundamentally divided. You're either an oppressor or you're oppressed. And these divisions are based on human distinction. 
ethnicity, gender, whatever. And so this deep implication here of this view is that fundamentally we are divided and the bridge really can't be crossed. And so the way you would view an outsider in that perspective is, well, you certainly wouldn't trust them. You might even despise them. You wouldn't particularly, from that point of view, love the one in the different group. Just this core division. And there doesn't seem to be any compelling way towards something like forgiveness or reconciliation. And so I I bring these two things up with the word outsider. Is our posture to be self-righteous judgmentalism? Is our posture to be a division and us-them kind of attitude? This is why I think we need a wise perspective in our day. A wise perspective toward outsiders. Christian, what's your story when it comes to this? Wouldn't you have to agree that grounded in the gospel, our story started like this, we were the outsiders? I was the outsider. I was an outsider to fellowship with a holy God. And why was I the outsider? It was my sin and my rebellion. I did not want God. I was inventing my own gods, following gods of my own making. And so I hadn't loved God or my neighbor as his law commands, and so I deserve his just wrath. There's a distance and enmity between me and God. I was the outsider, and it was my fault. Isn't that your story if you were a Christian? We were outsiders to God and his family. So, by the way, we see right here, if you believe that, and if you're a Christian, I think you should believe that. (laughs) Is there any room for self-righteousness in that kind of a story? Is there any room for self-righteousness in our lives? The whole logic of being grounded in the gospel is that I'm saved by not my righteousness. His. There's no place for self-righteous pride in this. There's a a place for humility, a humble love for the truth of Christ. But the posture is not one of self-righteousness. It's not one of division either. Because remember what Jesus has done for us. We were outsiders to God and his people. Remember what he's done for us. We prayed it this morning. Look at Colossians 1, verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who is what? Qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you see this picture? We were outsiders and what did Jesus do for us at cost to himself? He brought us in. He brought us near. He left the ultimate inside, right? His throne in heaven. And went to the outsiders so that at cost to himself, he can bring outsiders in. And don't you love him for that? We were outsiders and he brought us in, into fellowship with God, into the family of God through what he has done. So this wise posture then for the Christian, two things. Number one, it recognizes the ultimate issue between insider and outsider is that are you right with God Through Jesus Christ. That's the core thing. 
The word of God shows us apart from Christ, we are outsiders because God is holy and righteous. But through Christ, you can be brought near. Through faith alone and Christ alone, you are brought near. And therefore, for a Christian, a wise perspective towards the outsider is both seeing and feeling a lament and an opportunity. A lament and an opportunity. What's the lament? We want people who aren't in to be in, and we're broken that they're not in. We're concerned. We're not content. Lament. There is such a thing as outsiders. People need to trust Christ. Opportunity. What's the opportunity? Jesus, the one who brought us in, uses ex-outsiders like us to bring in others. Jesus uses ex-outsiders like us to bring in others. It's an opportunity. It's an invitation. And that's Christian wisdom, I think Paul is giving us, towards outsiders. It's a desire, a humble desire that Jesus would use us to bring outsiders in. Do you want that? Do you see the world in those ways? Are, are you buying the world's definitions on who's in or who's out and why? Or can you see the, the core thing, the core thing being Christ and being an insider or an outsider with a holy God? And is your, is your desire then to be used by the God who's brought you in to bring others in as well? Wise perspective. Second, wise prayer. You know, Paul tells him to start praying in verse 2, and then we see very quickly he's praying about a posture towards outsiders. It's an evangelistic prayer, okay? But you see his posture towards outsiders starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. Why would we start with prayer? Because you'd have no hope for doing this without God's strength. <laughs> I mean, if you feel a challenge about scattering to spread the gospel... Good, that's step one. Because if you didn't, I'm, I'm suspicious of you. You can't do this in your own strength. We need the power of God. So look at what he says. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Or another way you could translate that is be devoted to prayer. Is that true about you? If, if somebody was spying on you and watched your life, would they say, that person devoted to prayer? I don't know what my grade would be. It's not an A+. But this idea, you're consistently, intentionally working at prayer. You know, I, I think one, one reason this is difficult for us is we kind of, maybe we have this assumption that prayer ought to be like watching television. When in reality, it's more like exercise. It's work to pray. It's work. Put that expectation on. It's work to pray. It's not going to flow easy for you. Your mind will wander. You'll think, I why am I, I don't want to do this. It'll be work to pray. Be devoted to prayer. Like muscle up. Make us a part of the discipline. Set a timer. Be devoted to prayer. Um, I just want to say I'm so thankful for those of you who are coming early on Sundays to pray. Thank you for praying because God works when people pray, and, and, and praying for him to work here, I mean, Paul relies on it. We depend on it. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's so true in every aspect of life, especially this one. We pray, and, and as we pray, Paul says, be watchful with thanksgiving. 
So these are, these are tips for what wise prayer looks like. It's not just, dear Lord, thanks for the food, amen. Dear Lord, help us, amen. Hey, all prayer is good prayer, keep praying, okay? But wise prayer has a little more something to it. Watchful, what's that mean? It's awake to the reality of God and what he wants to do. Awake to the reality of where you fit in that and what he's doing. Awake to the reality of where others fit into that and then praying and asking for him to work in you and in others. It's, it's not falling asleep on praying, especially that God would use you to reach outsiders. That you would be wise towards outsiders. As you pray, be watchful. It's part of wise prayer. Also be thankful. Do you see that? Continue in steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Why should you be thankful when you pray? Do you ever have one of those days where you wonder if you have anything to be thankful for at all? I know intellectually you wouldn't say that because, yeah, that you do. But it feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? It does. And so this, this is really a push to remember to be grounded in the gospel. Sometimes if you're thinking, I can't find anything to be thankful for, well, you're having a bad day. You need to hang out with a friend. Call me up, okay? But also, you've especially forgotten the main thing. Paul is writing this letter from a prison, and he's still thankful. Why? He's got the gospel. He's got the gospel. You know, commentators say Colossians is the letter of thanksgiving, Paul started like this in Colossians 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for you. So being thankful in prayer is remembering God's power and goodness towards us in the gospel. He has saved us. He loved us. He has plans for us. He's still working through us. He's still saving. There's this atmosphere of hope when you're thankful. Hope that he's still working, that he might do it again, that the same God who saved you could save someone else. Pray Watchfully pray with thanksgiving. And you know, I think an attitude of thanks, thankfulness changes the flavor of how we share the gospel. You agree? An attitude of thankfulness changes the flavor on how we share the gospel. You know, if, if we aren't thankful people, well, what's the opposite? We get dreary, we get cynical, we're complaining. And so even on the, on the chance that we shared the gospel with an outsider, as Paul's using this term, that outsider might think, I'm not sure they really think the gospel's that great because they're so miserable about everything. <laughs> Let me tell you about the best news ever. My life's terrible, you know? It, that doesn't work. Now, I hope you know I don't mean to say that Christians don't suffer or that there's not times for lament or that there's not horribly times, horrible times of discouragement. There are, but underneath all of that should be a thankful joy that you have the gospel. And so a thankfulness will be attractive that you have a, something that can't, nothing can ever steal your joy through what you have in Christ. Are you a thankful person? What should you do? Meditate on the gospel and pray. Pray, wise prayer. You're devoted to prayer. You're watchful in prayer. You're thankful in prayer. Now look at this next thing that Paul prays for. Verse three, at the same time, pray for us also that God may do what? Open a door for the word. 
What does that mean? An open door is an opportunity to communicate the gospel. It's an open door is someone where is a time where someone is able and willing to listen to the gospel. You have a chance to share it. And so what do we see in this prayer? Who is it that opens doors for us to share the gospel? God does. God does. Friends, think about it. If, if you, you know, I'll ask you, when's the last time you shared the gospel with someone who isn't trusting in Christ? And some of you might say, even if you've been a Christian for a long time, you might say, I don't want to talk about it because I haven't talked about it. And then you might think, and I just haven't had opportunities. Okay, where do we start? Who brings open doors? Pray for open doors to share the gospel. Pray for open doors to share the gospel. Not only will God open doors to share the gospel, he will make you awake to the hallway of open doors you've been walking by (laughs) that you haven't walked in. God opens doors. Jesus says in Revelation of himself, he's the one with the key. He opens a door. Nobody can shut it. Listen, every time anybody ever became a Christian, it's because God opened the door. And he still opens doors. Pray that he will open doors. Come Wednesday night, pray this with us. But we don't just pray that God would open doors and make these opportunities. What else do we pray for? Paul prays that he would declare the mystery of Christ clearly. Because how many of you are like me? There was an open door. You saw it. You coasted right by it. You didn't take the opportunity. You just didn't take the opportunity. Why didn't you do it? I don't know. If you're like me, you were afraid or you were busy or you were distracted or you just didn't care or you didn't whatever. You just, you didn't take the opportunity. Not only do we need to pray for opportunities, we need to pray for humble boldness to take the opportunity. Pray. But do you see see how evangelism here, it starts with a wise perspective towards outsiders and our calling therein. And then it moves right away to pray pray. Because if you're like, I can't do this, the text is saying, you're right. But there's one who can and does pray. Wise evangelism prays. It prays wisely. Watchful prayer, thankful prayer, praying for opportunities, and that we would take them. Okay, wise prayer. That was wise prayer. Now wise clarity. Wise clarity. Look at verse 3. Again, Paul's saying, at the same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Um, How do you like the idea that the apostle Paul needs prayer for declaring Christ clearly? I mean, he seems pretty clear to me. He's he's like, "I I need prayer. I need you to pray for me so that I could declare the mystery of Christ clearly. We're praying for boldness for him, I suppose. And we're also praying for the ability to communicate it well and the ability to stay on task. Because look, this, these, three, these three ideas are what evangelism is fundamentally about. Number, number one, the word, pray for me that I ought to declare the mystery of Christ. What does declare mean? You speak it out like it's news. There is a place for conversation. We're going to get to that. But ultimately, evangelism is you're speaking out the truth of Christ like it's news. You're declaring it. And this is a challenge to us because we like to think that evangelism equals being a nice person. 
Are any of you still deceived by that? It's easier, right? Well, I was a nice person. And by the way, we are in full support of you being nice, right? In fact, you know, some of you keep trying, right? Uh, people, you're looking at me. Come on, be nice. Okay, I'm joking, right? But listen, I have never been nice enough for it to be good news that could save anyone. Really? Really? On my nicest moment, have I ever been that nice? Is the gospel, the good news that saves, is the gospel about how wonderful you and I are in all our personal, interpersonal relationships? I mean, that's important. We're going to see that. But is that the gospel? No. So what do you need to do if you're going to share the gospel? Yes, be nice. Be nice. And declare. Speak with your mouth the reality of Christ. Then he says, declare the mystery of Christ. From a New, New Testament perspective, the Old Testament has all these promises in it, and we're wondering how God's going to save his people. And it's a mystery. The New Testament, it's revealed. We see the mystery revealed. It's Jesus. It's who he is. It's what he's done. It's his perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection. The mystery's been revealed. So what are we declaring? What are we declaring? Christ. Let me, let me just throw this out here. Don't lose your focus on what you mainly want people to believe. Imagine I was able to talk, survey the outsiders, those who don't know Christ, in your life, and imagine I was able to ask those people, what does this person most want to persuade you of? How many of, how many of them would mention something about current events? Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying don't talk about or persuade regarding current events. But I, I just want to know, what's the main thing you want outsiders to be persuaded of? And what, what do you want them to think of when they think of, this is what that person wants me to be persuaded of? I think we should all have the goal that all the outsiders in our life know that the main thing we want for them is to trust Christ. That's what we declare. We declare the mystery of Christ. And Paul says, pray that I'll do it clearly. So I've got homework for you today. I want you to go home and take a piece of paper, and I want you to write out the gospel. I want you to act like your friend says, what must I do to be saved? And I want, I want you to try to write out in your own words who Jesus is and what he's done and what it means to respond to him. Because I would submit to you that if you can't do that all by yourself with time to think about it, you'll probably struggle with it in conversation. It would be difficult. But I would also say, you can do this. Friends, if you are a Christian, you know enough to help someone else be a Christian. If you're a Christian, you know enough to help someone else be a Christian. Because if you're a Christian, you know who Jesus is and you know what he's done. And that's what saves. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I don't know the answer to every question. We can do our best to help one another find the answers to all these questions. But the key issue is not sharing all the, 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 the theological wonders out there. They're, they're great. I'm, I'm all into that. I'm a theology nerd. I love that stuff. And talk about Christ. Declare the mystery of Christ. Make it clear. Make it clear. Wise perspective, wise prayer, wise clarity. 
declare the mystery of Christ clearly. Now, wise walk. Verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Why does the walk matter? Uh, for the New Testament, the word walk often means lifestyle. And so I think Paul's getting at how we think about what other people think about us. Does that make sense? What, what we're thinking about here is how we care about what other people think about us. So, for instance, it's popular to say, right, I don't care what people think. Any of you out there? I don't care what people think. And the great irony to me is the people who say that the most seem to really care that we know that they don't care how we think about them. Um, okay, in a way, isn't it true? Uh, there's a grain of truth there. We shouldn't care about what people think to the extent that we believe and live and communicate the truth in love no matter what people think, right? Yes, I, I, yes, we don't change core truths based on public opinion. Right, in that way, we don't, we don't care about what people think. Amen. But some people seem to think that this kind of like rebellious independence is wisdom for evangelism. And Paul says, not caring at all about what people think is not Christian wisdom for evangelism. Let me give you one example. If you want a big example, read the book of Titus. That's mainly what Titus is about. We want our lifestyles to adorn the gospel. But here's one example, 1 Timothy 3, 7. So here's Paul's talking about qualifications for an elder, a leader in a local church. Here's one of the qualifications. Moreover, an elder must be, must be, well thought of by whom? Outsiders. What does that say about the nature of the church and what Christians should be like is that their leaders must be people who are well thought of by outsiders. What it means is that our reputation among those who don't trust Christ matters. Are we supposed to walk in the fear of man? No, Proverbs, the fear of man is a snare. Don't do that. And yet, what's the... Here's the question. Do our lifestyles make Jesus attractive? Are we generous? Are we humble? Do we have integrity? Does, does the whole context of our lives fit with what we say? Are, are we walking around looking like explicit hypocrites or do they see a genuine reality of Christ in how we live? We ought to care about how we look. A wise walk adorns the gospel. Our lifestyle should make the gospel as easy to believe as possible. That's wisdom for evangelism. It's a wise walk. Second, Paul says, a wise walk makes the most of the opportunities. And so commentators say the Greek here works like this. It's, it's kind of like a cheap stock you know is going to go up. And so you want to buy all of it. That's the attitude behind make the best use of the opportunities. If you see an opportunity to somehow communicate Jesus to an outsider, man, all in, buy the stock, go get them, sign up, go, make the best use. It's a push, it's an encouragement. So it's an idea that you want to be ready and then you want to give it a shot because you only get so many opportunities. Make the, make the best use. You're not going to be perfect, you're not going to get it right, it's not always going to go the way you want. Really, that has nothing to do with it. It's nothing to do with it. Trust the Lord. Do your best to share the gospel. 
Now, here's a, here's a hard question for us. When was the last time you invited someone who does not know Jesus to come to church? When was the last time you brought someone who's unchurched to a church or you tried? When was the last time you did your best to talk about Jesus with someone who doesn't yet believe in Christ? I want you to go ahead and get, get the date down in your mind. And if you can't remember the last time that happened, or if it was like 1984, I'll just suggest you may have lost your wisdom in Christian living. We're being foolish. We're being foolish. So what do we do if we're there? I mean, I've been there, I've been there before in different ways. Go back to step two, start praying. Start praying, dear Lord, open the door. Let me see the open door and give me the boldness and the courage and the humility to walk through it and make the best use of the time. Maybe the time's 30 seconds, maybe it's three hours, maybe it's 30 years. Make the best use of the time. Wise perspective, wise prayer, wise clarity, wise walk. Here's the last one, wise conversation. Wise conversation. Look at verse six. Let your speech always be gracious. First thing you learn about wise conversation is that it's winsome. Are you familiar with that word? Winsome. Winsome means attractive or appealing in appearance or character. This Greek, this Greek word here, we're translating gracious. It means something which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, grace of speech. It's an attractive sort of speech. Paul says, let it always be gracious. Does the grace of God through Christ help make that speech attractive? Absolutely. But it's, it's an environment of the way you talk. And listen, let your speech always be gracious. I think in our day, it's somewhat popular to be like the growling prophet. Right? That's usually not wisdom for evangelism. Look what Peter says, 1 Peter 3, 14. So balanced. 1 Peter 3, 14. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. In context, these are outsiders making life hard for Christians. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it how? gentleness, and respect. That's God's law, friends. That is a command. So you think of this holy heart. You want Jesus honored. You want him valued. Then you think of this intellectual strength. There's a reasoned hope. I have an argument for why Jesus is the best hope there is, and I am ready to make that reasoned argument to anyone ever, and I will do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. That's wise conversation. It's winsome. Second, wise conversation is salty. Seasoned with salt. What do you think that illustration gives you? It's got Jesus in there somehow, right? It's, it's moving things to Christ and his goodness, what he means to you, how life relates to him, what he's done for you. Maybe it's an aspect of your testimony or how you, how you see an issue in light of Christ or how you wish things would work in light of Christ, but there's a salty that's there, a flavor to it. You know, you can think here of conversation like a good meal. Isn't that the illustration? Season something. 
How do you like it cooked? You know, do you want, you like salt? I like salt. My family, we could use like one of those salt licks like they use for deer. We just love salt. But how do you want, how do you want your meal cooked? Just like open the Costco bag and just salt. You going to eat that? Can you eat that? Is our evangelism like that? And yet, do you want food with no flavor? How many of our conversations have no Christian flavor? And I'll I'll admit to you, sometimes I I don't know how to do it either. Some of my conversations, I'm like, Lord, help me. Help me see how. Help me me see where. I stumble through it. We all do. But season your food. Put some taste in there. The taste of Christ. Christ who he is, what he's done, how that relates to life for you, your forgiveness in him, the truth in him, the meaning you have in him, the hope you have in him. Wise conversation is salty. I just wanna encourage you here, use your suffering. Where's Paul writing this letter from? Prison. Did you notice that in his prayer, the first request was not pray that I can get out of here? I'm sure he prayed that he could get out of there, but... That wasn't his first request. He said, pray that we could use the time in prison. Do you know some Roman soldiers got saved? (laughs) Why do we have the letter of Colossians? Because Paul was in prison. God uses suffering to spread the gospel. I hate that you suffer. I hate that I suffer. We should pray that God would heal us when we suffer. One day he will alleviate our suffering. We're not huge fans of suffering, but we are huge fans of what God can do through suffering. I just want to encourage you as you share the gospel, use your suffering. Don't people need hope in today's world? Hope, meaning, security. Where do you find yours? Do you have that in Christ? Oh, that shines like a light. Share it. Wise conversation is salty. Third, wise conversation is personalized. You might have wondered why I use the word conversation. But look at the end of verse six. Paul says you should know how to answer each person. You should know how to answer each person. Now, how on earth did you get such a knowledge of this person that you know how to personalize the way you share the gospel with them to their immediate context and situation? How did you do that? Did you get a download when you met them? How did you get to know the depths of this person and their beliefs, their concerns, the obstacles between them and the gospel? How did you get to know a wisdom towards this person you're talking with? How did that happen? You had a conversation. That's the only way it happens. You took time to learn, you listened. Oh, Proverbs is a book of God's wisdom, right? Have you, have you read Proverbs wondering what it says about evangelism? It's really interesting. Here's a couple of nuggets for you. Look at Proverbs 18, 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Oh. Any, anybody been caught in your folly and shame before? <laughs> so me. Uh, I gave an answer before I listened. Listen. Give an answer? Yeah, we saw that in the text. Give an answer. Listen so that you can make the best use of your time with the context of this audience so you know how to answer each person. Or here's another one, Proverbs 20, verse 5. 
The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Oh, if we were better at drawing out one another's hearts in love, why are you responding like that? Why are you feeling that way? What's in there? Let's hear it. Let's see it. Let's apply Christ and who he is to it. Purpose in a man's heart is like a a deep water. Wise people, what do wise people do with other people's hearts? We draw them out. We listen as best we can. There's conversation. Paul says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. It's a wise conversation. Well, I don't know if I made this easier for you or harder for you. But hopefully it gave, it, it gave you permission to engage in the process. And that we want to scatter to spread, but we want to do it with wisdom. We want to do it with wisdom. Again, it's a wise perspective. God, we were the outsiders. God has brought us in through Christ. He uses us to do the same for others. Second, it's wise prayer. We depend on God to do this. Aren't you glad to know it's God who saves sinners and not us? It's God who saves them. It's not me. And so we lean on him in prayer. We're devoted to prayer. We want to be awake in prayer. We want to be thankful in prayer. We want to pray for open doors. We want to pray for boldness. Wise prayer. Third, wise clarity. Declare Christ clearly. That's that main focus. Declare Christ clearly. Fourth, wise walk. We want a lifestyle that adorns the gospel, a lifestyle that makes the gospel easy to believe and desirable in how we live, making the most of the opportunity. Fifth, wise conversations. That's all in scattering to spread the gospel. Why would we do this again? Because Jesus has told us to. And also because that's what Jesus did for us. He's the one who left to go first. He did it for us. He's the one who came to bring the outsiders in. And he says he's with us as we do the same. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray for, first of all, a love for the gospel. If anybody here is just not a Christian and is kind of not sure what we're talking about, I pray that you just help them see what we're most excited about. It's Jesus. It's who he is. It's what he's done He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead. Through trusting in him, we can be right with you, forgiven of all our sins, adopted as your child. May that just be beautiful to us, Lord. May we trust it today. And as we trust it, due to love for you and love for our neighbor, we pray that we be motivated to go out and spread the gospel with your wisdom. Lord, get us praying. Get us talking. Get us listening. Get us declaring Jesus Christ to our friends, to our family, to our world. Open the doors for us. Lord, help us walk through them, and then just let us see that fruit of how you are still saving sinners just like you saved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.